Do you feel beautiful? Do you look beautiful? Does one really affect the other? Welcome to Beauty Inside and Out with host Bonnie Bonadeo. In our show, we'll help you uncover your true self and unleash beauty that you never knew existed in order to be at your best, both inside and out. Now, here is your host, Bonnie Bonadeo. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Beauty Inside and Out. We're still in the month of June. We're at the final tail end of our wonderful month where we're creating education and awareness for nonprofit organizations, charities, and other type of companies that I wanted to dedicate time to be able to let you know about them. Because June, not only being my favorite month, it's my birthday month, and it was a way for me to give back on my radio show, Beauty Inside and Out. Now, let me just give you guys a little insight of what we've done so far in the month of June on our first week in June, we uh, talked to Meredith and her son, Ryan, who she is a, a ovarian cancer survivor. And she's also currently the chairman of the National Ovarian Cancer Coalition. Uh, and, they, and her son, Ryan, shares a really incredible story that he actually had no reason to exist because uh, his mother, Meredith, found out that she had ovarian cancer while she was pregnant with him. And it was one of those very difficult decisions that Meredith had to make of, you know, uh, not move forward with the pregnancy or wait until after the pregnancy and risk that maybe the cancer was going to continue to grow, but still, you know, have her child. Um, so the two of them together as a mother and son conversation uh, was very empowering and um, brought me to tears a couple times with both of them. So and, and ovarian cancer being one of those silent killers um, in the cancer realm please listen to it because I think that the awareness that we need to have to share with other women is critical for us to be able to be diagnosed early, which is the problem with ovarian cancer is that it doesn't get an early diagnosis. Uh, second week of June, we went into what we call the cool cap program. And it was about really keeping your hair during chemotherapy. And there's new technology out called cold, cold cap or cool cap. And you actually have the opportunity to be able to wear this cap while going through chemo to not lose your hair because Really what we understand is that losing our hair during this makes us feel more sick than maybe we really are. And it kind of prevents us from being able to be in our community and in our society when we look worse than we may feel during our treatments. Um, and Hair to Stay uh, is an organization that helps fund people to be able to have this cool cap process because of course insurance doesn't cover this um, at this particular time but it's manageable and it's accessible and the more people that know about it the more opportunities we have to have you look as beautiful as you can even though you might be going through some treatments at this time. Uh, our third week we talked with Selena uh, Tomasik and she is all the way from Australia and she has put together this program to be able to teach skills to women and gentlemen, of course, too, but mainly women in third world countries, underdeveloped countries, teaching them the skills of hairdressing so that they actually have uh, an opportunity to be able to provide a service and get paid for that service so that they can build up their community and build up their wealth in these particular areas. It was very interesting. But today, today is the one that's closest to my heart. Um, and I'm so proud and honored to be able to have the guests that I have today because we're going to be talking about dementia and we're going to be talking about this dreadful disease that um, there's not a lot of answers for just yet, but there is a lot more awareness that's taking place and happening 
in regards to dementia. And my guests today are Carmen Burns, and she has um, she's created a fabulous Facebook page that I've been poking around in and asking some questions in called Dementia Through Daughter's Eyes. And then Kevin Jameson, he is the founder and president of uh, DementiaSociety.org. And they're both going to provide us an enormous amount of awareness, education, and information today. And so I thank you for joining me and listening to this conversation because currently right now my dad is in late stages of dementia. And um, I was just there over the uh, last weekend. And, you know, I, I see that he has good days. I see that he has bad days. Um, I see what it's doing to him and I see what it's doing to my family. But I think the part that... Um, really causes me the greatest amount of concern of wanting to be more educated and more aware is that my mother is taking the role of the caretaker at this time and I see the burden that it's being placed on her and so I'm doing everything I can to figure out ways to support her as the caretaker of this of my father and um, how she can still experience a great life and knowing while she's grieving um, in losing her husband for over 60 years. So thank you guys both for joining me. I really appreciate it. You oh, thank you. Yeah. Carmen, I, I'd like to start out with you because one of the things that I love to do is I love to find out a little bit more about my guests from kind of a personal side. Um, so I know that at this point you're going to be able to share with us that um, you are a caregiver, full-time caregiver to your mother. But can you give us a little bit before that? Like what was your life like before being this full-time caregiver and then take us into that particular time of now where you're at and what you're doing. Right. So my life before, um, I had just gotten to the point in my life actually where my children were grown, um, you know, mid to late teens, kind of getting my freedom back from, you know, raising my kids and, um, starting to explore life a little bit more, um, you know, which is very exciting when you've, when you've raised your, you've been raising children for so long. Um, and then, um, my mom and I used to go to England, um, every other year, my mom, every year, me, every other year with her, um, to visit her dad. And, um, we started noticing some slight changes in her. Um, mild memory, um, but the biggest thing was judgment with her, because mm -hmm. uh, specifically she is frontal temporal dementia. So judgment is a big, big one. Um, so she, she was aware of it. She knew something was going on and, uh, she lived two and a half hours away from me. So, you know, it, it was just phone conversations and, um, you know, she did see a doctor and she did have a CAT scan and what have you. But at the time, I was so uneducated um, that I didn't even think maybe she's not giving me the right information. Mm. So I didn't. The word dementia never came about. And it wasn't until about 2013 that my mom actually said, I want to move closer to you. They were in a very secluded lake district. And so I thought that was a good idea because I was seeing more and more changes just through our phone calls and different things like that. So we did, we, we, uh, sold their property. We found them a property that was about half an hour from me. 
Um, we started the process of finding them a family doctor and then, you know, going through the whole uh, diagnosis stage, which probably took about at least a year. Mm. Um, you know, but in that time I was more involved because of the fact that I was, I was closer. Yes. So in 2014, my mom was diagnosed with frontal temporal dementia. Um, as soon as I knew what it was, I started educating myself on it. Whatever I could get my hands on, I educated myself on it. Um, I never thought at that point, um, you know, becoming a caregiver or I don't think you think into the future. Yeah. Um, you know, so we were going along neurologists every six months and whatnot, but it was getting to the point where my mom was doing things that were unsafe for her. The problem was, is that we could not remove them from their home if they did not want to leave. Right. <clears throat> so the only way that they would, the only way we could get them out of their home was if there was a crisis situation, which scared the heck out of me. Um, and unfortunately, we did have a crisis. My mom climbed a ladder, cut a tree branch, fell and broke her back. Um, and thankfully, um, it was non-load bearing. Like, thankfully, where she broke it, she was okay after a couple weeks in the hospital. That's how we were able to get them out of their home. Get them um, out of their home from a legal standpoint or, or becoming yeah. power of attorney in a sense? Well, I was always power of attorney, but the problem was is that my mom lived with her husband, so he was power of attorney. Okay, gotcha. in the time that my mom was in the hospital. That's all right. Keep going, Carmen. Sorry. In the time that my mom was in the hospital, um, I stayed with my stepdad through the, um, through the night, and we were at the hospital through the day. And it was at that point I realized something's going on with him as well. And it hit me like a ton of bricks that they both had dementia. Oh, wow. Um, and at that point, there was absolutely no way they could stay in their home. Yeah. The hospital wouldn't allow my mom anyways. Um, so we got them into a retirement facility, into an apartment. We wanted to make it as easy as possible. We didn't want them in a room, you know, mm -hmm. we still wanted them to have, have a life. Yes, exactly. We didn't want to rip everything from them because uh, for the first probably four months, all they asked is when can we go home? Mm. You know, which is so difficult because you know, they can't, um, at fast forward nine months, my stepdad's dementia got worse. Um, I unfortunately had to place him in a home. He was incontinent and he could not do stairs. Um, and there were six of us living here. I couldn't, it was impossible to move six people um, to bring him here. And, and he was cognitive enough that he, he knew I would be changing him. And I was his stepdaughter. I don't want to strip all that dignity from him too. So we placed him in a home and we brought mom here. And that was three years ago. Um, he since passed in uh, February of 2018, which is a blessing in disguise. Um, and my mom is my mom is still here. So she's been in my home now for for three years. And when she came here, we could not find any support. We found support groups. 
but they were about 40 minutes away. They weren't, me and my sister, they weren't times that we could get there because one of us would have to be with my mom. Um, it, it was really, really difficult to find support. So yeah. I, I started my, uh, my Facebook page. And I mean, really, honestly, it was only to connect with people going through the same thing and get support. I didn't realize at the time that I would also be giving support. <laughs> right. Yeah. I didn't realize that it was going to grow to what it has. Um, and it's just been fantastic. It's, it's been a godsend. Yes. Well, good. Well, thank you for that. Cause I know I've been poking around on it and getting support as well. So I appreciate that. Carmen, are you out of Canada? I am. Okay, good. <laughs> I heard the accent there and I'm like, oh, I didn't realize you were from Canada. Perfect. Good. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about your Facebook group and how people can, um, you know, jump on and be able to kind of find out more information because it was very informative with everything. But I'm going to turn it over to Kevin at this point. So Kevin, you've got a story as well in regards to dementia. And obviously, um, I always say a story is sometimes what propels us to be in action and um, provide sometimes that additional support to other people because we learn something and then it's like, if I didn't know this, other people don't know it and I need to make sure that I share it. So will you share us with your story? Sure, well, first of all, thanks for having me and Carmen, thanks for sharing your story. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's, a, it's a positive story in many ways because you were able to take some action and you were able to have a positive outcome and you're continuing to have a positive outcome. So. I want to thank you for that. Thank you. And, you know, so the Dementia Society was born out of a, a need, as, as you kind of mentioned. I had spent about 40 years in the electronics security business and working for Honeywell at the end of my career for about 20 years. And so uh, in that process, though, um, uh, my wife and I were having some marital issues, some difficulties, and I really didn't know, you know, where they came from, why they were happening. We'd been married for about 20 years at that point, and it was just unusual. So, you know, she was typically a very gregarious, outgoing woman, and um, but yet she became a little bit more nasty, and, it, you know, there was just some issues there. And so we actually went to a, uh, a marriage counselor at my request. And uh, one thing led to another, and not unlike Carmen, it took a, quite a long time to kind of figure things out. But the uh, defining moment came when, we went out to dinner one night, and she um, she and I walked into the restaurant. I said hello to the waitress, the hostess, and uh, called her by name because I knew her from our previous visits. And she said, "How do you know her?" And I said, "Because last time we were here, I, you know, I remember her name." You know, and she goes, "I've never been here before." And I said, "Really? <laughs> Wait a minute. We were here a month ago." And she said, "I've never been here. You must have been here with another woman." And I was like, wow, ding dong, there's a, there's a big bell ringing in my head at that mm -hmm. moment. And I knew, I really knew that it wasn't, you know, just kind of marital difficulties as much as there might be some cognitive issue going on. And um, she had had um, uh, a head trauma back uh, previous to that. And I started to piece things together, but it still didn't make sense to me. And, and like Carmen, it took took us actually more than a year, but it took us probably close to two or three years before we came to something that was more definitive, which was, you know, yes, Ginny has dementia, it's progressive, uh, it may be of the Alzheimer's type, but we don't know. 
And in the mid 2000s, that's kind of how they were phrasing it, you know, and, and, and that's how a lot of times they still phrase it today. But, you know, so what I learned in the, in the years that followed in my caregiving experience, and I traveled a lot, so I had to figure things out sometimes remotely. And in retrospect, I had neighbors who would come up to me now even and say, oh, you know, Ginny came over to our house one night in the pouring rain. She was in her bed clothes looking for you. And I was like, wow, I just never knew. Um, and, and I had lots of incidents that happened while I was there. And, and you know, I, I started out with somebody coming in just a couple hours a week to kind of help her around the house a little bit, kind of as a quote unquote cleaning person, because she was losing that ability to, to organize things and get things done. And then ultimately, you know, one thing led to another and it became, you know, every, every night when I was away, there'd be somebody staying with her and then it became a live-in person. And then finally we made the move to a dementia community where she was, um, you know, much safer to be in uh, than in our house. And then she moved into the regular skilled nursing care and then ultimately into hospice. And so as she entered her, you know, I didn't know how long she would live, but as she entered hospice, uh, I retired from my career at Honeywell and uh, decided to uh, care for her. And then at the same time think, okay, what am I going to do with this, this knowledge that I have? And I was still young enough, still consider myself young enough, um, that, um, you know, that I needed to, that I had the energy to do something. And, and I, and I had a skill set to communicate with other people about it. And it's what I'd done all my life was, uh, public speaking and uh, marketing and sales and so forth. So, you know, I, I didn't know how to communicate with people and um, present what I would consider kind of the truth about dementia. Uh, you know, what it is, what it isn't, because there was so much misinformation. And quite frankly, even from professionals, people that would consider themselves mm -hmm. professionals in the field, um, that I really felt like, you know, we, you know, I'm not a medical doctor, but I've I've put myself in, in enough positions where I've understood what's really going on. And, um, you know, and I have a board of advisors in our organization. Uh, they've helped me understand things. Uh, and I talk to a lot of people and I'm a sponge, so I like to learn. And so all of this kind of culminated in the formation of the Dementia Society. Great. And that happened in 2013. So we're five and a half years in, right? Yeah. And Kevin, you know, we're on video right now, everybody, just so you know, and you'll be able to watch the video live um, as well on my Facebook page um, if you're interested in this. But I'm looking at Kevin and Kevin, you do look very young to me. And you started this Dementia Society in 2013. Do you mind me asking a personal question of how old your wife was when she start, you started to see signs of her having yeah. dementia? So I'm going to answer that in a couple of ways. I'll, I'll tell you the, the ages, but, but the age is not the issue. Um, because people can get dementia at very young ages and some of it's, you know, based on genetics, some of it's based on head injury, some of it's based on environmental aspects. So it's, when people ask me that they're typically asking, well, was that early onset or, and they're typically thinking about Alzheimer's disease. So, and we'll get to that question because I know probably a lot of people listening or viewing are curious what's the difference between Alzheimer's and, and yes. frontal temporal dementia and, and dementia in general. What, you know, what is it? But so my wife was older than me. In fact, um, 
I was uh, 1982 when we met on a dance floor. Uh, I had just turned 24 that night. She was 40. So um, we met on a dance floor, fell in love, and she had two kids, so it was kind of instant family, had milk and stir, and uh, we just had a great life together. We went oh, wonderful. a lot of places, did a lot of wonderful things. Um, so the age is important in some respects, but um, you know, when it comes to dementia, um, you know, age is a risk factor for certain types of dementia more so than others. Um, so, and we'll talk about that as well. But you know, at the end of the day, I think the big question on people's minds uh, always are a couple things: what's the difference between Alzheimer's and dementia? Mm-hmm. And and then um, when I answer that, it really speaks to the issue of frontotemporal and some others. So, do you want me to answer that? Yeah, absolutely. We still have like about six minutes left before we're going to take our first break. So let's define that because, and thank you, first of all, for answering the other question. I appreciate that Uh, because I I think a lot of times we think that when people are young and they're just maybe having some, you know, memory issues or cognitive issues that it might be related to something else, but um, we don't, we don't think or we don't want to be in that space of, oh, there might be some further issues that we need to, you know, research now at this point. So, yeah, yeah. Give, us, give us the definition, how you define the difference between dementia and Alzheimer's. So, so, yes. So, first of all, let me just backtrack and say, you know, so we all have different levels of cognition, right? Some people are, you know, high on the SAT scores and the genius scores and all the things that people do. And some people have uh, quicker processing, right? You can hear that when you go to a comedy club. Somebody gives a joke and, you know, some people start laughing right away and some people laugh a couple seconds later. <laughs> yeah. So we all have differences. And and some people are more introspective and kind of, you know, can look inside themselves and other people are not so much introspective. And so some people recognize cognitive changes and other people don't. And sometimes it's the disease cause, the pathology that maybe even make makes it difficult for somebody to recognize that they have a cognitive difficulty. So in short, let me say this. So kind of in the way that cancer is looked at. So let's look at that. So dementia in and of itself is not a disease. That's kind of one of the keystones of of understanding that we need to have. So when we say, you know, I want to cure dementia, then my follow-up question is, which one? Uh, so, so dementia is kind of this umbrella, if you will, and it's not unlike cancer. So with cancer, you have melanoma, leukemia, breast cancer, lung cancer, testicular cancer, etc. cetera. Um, and there's, these are these underlying kind of subtypes of cancer. And the same is sort of true with dementia. Dementia is really more of a syndrome. It's a collection of symptoms that we don't necessarily have cures for but they're really reflective of an underlying pathology. So in the case of frontal temporal dementia, as an example, that involves the front and temporal areas of the brain. And that's where your, a lot of your behavior and decision-making is done. Um, it's where you, you know, you, you, a lot of word finding issues can come up with frontal temporal dementia as well. Alzheimer's on the other hand is a different type of dementia. So, Alzheimer's, frontotemporal, vascular dementia, Lewy body dementia, Creutzfeldt-Jakob, Wernicke-Korsakoff, TBI, all these things cause dementia. And dementia is the expression of the, of the disease. It's the outward expression. It's what we see. It's what we sense and feel. So, and, it, and it typically has to affect two or more activities of daily living, 
So eating, bathing, you know, executive functions and things like that. And then the other thing is it has to be progressive. So you can have minor cognitive impairment, which is kind of like a precursor to a, a more full-blown dementia, but minor cognitive impairment is you're cognitively impaired, but it doesn't affect your activities of daily living to the point where you can't do them. And so you can kind of stay on that trajectory for quite some time at a level le level place. But dementia is where we've tested somebody or they've been tested, and over time they degrade, they get worse and worse over time. And so you couple up those two things, a progression uh, of the condition or conditions and symptoms, as well as um, you know, it affects your daily activities. So it, when somebody says, you know, so a lot of people think like Alzheimer's is up here and dementia is down here when it's the exact opposite. There's okay. the umbrella and then there are the types of dementia or the causes. Kind of like the difference between a cut and a scab. A cut is a cut, the scab is the result of the cut. Yeah. So Alzheimer is a particular Ver, different version of dementia? Is it affecting a different part of the brain based on how you described frontal temple dementia? Yes. So, so, yes. So in a couple of minutes here, I'll just simply say that Alzheimer's disease, and it was, it was kind of quote unquote discovered by a doctor named Alloy Alzheimer back in early 1900s when he investigated a woman's brain that was relatively young in her early fifties. And what he found were what, we consider plaques and tangles. Um, we can talk about that later, but okay. at the end of the day, it, it affects the hippocampus typically first, which is your short-term memory. So one of the hallmarks of Alzheimer's disease is, re is repetition and short-term memory loss. Whereas with frontotemporal, it's going to be more uh, behavior, as Carmen said, and some other um, types of expressions. And uh, another one is vascular. Vascular might cause you to fall more. Um, there's a certain leveling out that happens with vascular. And, um, and then there's um, Lewy body, which is kind of related to Parkinson's. So it causes tremors and hallucinations and some things that are related and, and similar to what goes on with Parkinson's. So, and we're gonna take a break here at this point. So, but to be able, so to be able to get the proper diagnosis is critical then at this point of yes. what this level is that they may have because yes. they're all going to be treated differently just like a cancer would be treated differently. Yes, there's going to be slight variations in the trajectory of care and life expectancy okay. as well as some of the behaviors and issues that will crop up. There are going to be some slight differences. So, you, you know, even the drugs may be slightly different. So you want to be definitely looking. Perfect. Got it. Well, thank you so much for clarifying that. We are going to take a quick break right now, you guys, but when we come back, Carmen and Kevin are going to continue our conversation with us to help us be more educated, more aware, define these differences that I think, uh, as me, as a, a new person to this, um, I'm a little confused by it, so I appreciate the clarity. And then we'll look at ways that we can be able to support our loved ones um, that might be going through some of the stages of uh, dementia and these other um, disorders that you kind of described there for us, Kevin. So stay with us, you guys. We'll be right back in a couple of minutes. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Are you looking to uncover your authentic self? Looking to improve your communication, selling, or public speaking skills? Discover Naked Audience Productions trainings on public speaking, leadership, sales, and healing. Mastering the art of authentic communications can change your life in many ways. From promotions, to profits, to enhancing any relationship, whether it's business or personal, finding and speaking your naked truth is a beautiful thing. Visit www.napevents.com or call 877-319-2403. That's napevents.com or 877-319-2403. Hi, Bonnie Bonadeo here. Would you date your brand? Yes, no, maybe. Maybe you're not even sure what a brand is. You know, like so many companies out there, they have a great product and they don't understand the ultimate brand connection. There's confusion between marketing, sales, branding, clarity of message and establishing a laser focused target on who your ultimate client is. So let me ask you these three questions. Do you know why you exist? Not your product, not your company, you. Do you know why you exist? And then what are you offering? And third, Who are you offering it to? And if you can't answer these three questions with complete certainty, then you need to join me in Atlanta, Georgia, September 15th and 16th for Stages Speaking and Branding Course. It's a two-day workshop, two in-depth conversations between speaking and branding, and one fantastic brand message that you'll be able to speak with the ultimate confidence. So if you'd like to join me September 15th and 16th in Atlanta, Georgia for Stages, go to stagesspeakercourse.com. That's stagesspeakercourse.com. You can also find me on Facebook if you go Stages Speaking and Branding Course. See you there. You are listening to Beauty Inside and Out with Bonnie Bonadeo. If you have a question or comment about our show, please send an email to bonnie at bonniebonadeo.com. That's bonnie at bonniebonadeo.com. Now back to Beauty Inside and Out. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Beauty Inside and Out. Um, You know, my guest today, Karen Burns, she's a full-time caregiver to her mother, Carol, who suffers from dementia. In our first segment, we talked a little bit about some of the differences in dementia. Kevin, I love the way you described it as kind of an umbrella or a syndrome of symptoms. And then there were other um, elements or other descriptions of um, dementia, including Alzheimer's and Lewis bodies and uh, those type of things. So we're going to go into that a little bit more because that... That was very educational. But Carmen, give us a little insight here, because when you said that you finally got your mother diagnosed, it took a while. So I'm curious, why did it take long for them to diagnose her appropriately? And then where are you at in um, her caregiving and support systems that you're working with at this point in time? So first of all, we're in Canada. So everything here is a bit slower. Yes. (laughs) But it's only because we don't pay for our health care. So it's, you know. Um, But to be honest with you, my mom is a rare case, of course. um, Because they believe that my mom's uh, frontal temporal dementia was caused by um, a mini stroke or a few mini strokes, which would put her in the vascular dementia category. The difference is, is that the area of the brain that it affected was the frontal temporal regions. Mm -hmm. So like Kevin said, 
um, her judgment was off. Um, verbally, like she started using different words for different things. I mean, my mom now is, um, she's about nine years into the disease, not from diagnosis, but from when, you know, we, we saw things. Um, and she is non-communicative now. Um, she has no comprehension, um, which does make things very challenging, which is why we stick to a very, very strict schedule. Um, but because of that, um, and because uh, with frontal temporal dementia, it's very common for seizures, they wanted to ensure that that wasn't happening before they gave a full diagnosis. So even though it was caused by stroke, the diagnosis is frontal temporal dementia because those are the symptoms that we're dealing with. Mm -hmm. So um, once I knew what we were dealing with, I watched every video I could. I watched every documentary that I could. I read everything that I could get my hands on. I talked to every doctor and neurologist that was um, caring for her. And that's how I educated myself. Um, you know, it wasn't always possible for me to go out and I wouldn't even know where to get the education, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, but for me, uh, time was an issue, right? Or being able to get out was an issue. So I just, like I said, I educated myself as much as possible um, through the means that I had. Yeah. What, what's something, Carmen, that you would like to share that seems to be um, a misinformation or misunderstood about dementia at this point in time that you can educate us on? So very much what Kevin said, you know, about the umbrella I don't know how many times I've posted that on my group because people are so confused by it. Um, so that is one of the things. Another thing too, and I don't really, I can't really speak for the states here because I think, you know, you guys have hospice where we have palliative and then hospice. Right. So, Number one, I think that the general doctors, the general practitioners need to be handing out, and the neurologists need to be handing out more information, even more education, pamphlets, whatever the case may be, and they need to be handing out um, all of the support branches in your community. So my mom has just been on, put on palliative care, which means I now have a nurse at my fingertips, mm. a doctor at my fingertips, and a palliative care specialist at my fingertips. The only reason I got that is because my mom was hospitalized in the beginning of May. And I didn't know that she could go on this just yet. Because even though she's in late stages, she's not end of life. So, and, and people can go on palliative much earlier than she's already gone on. I could have had this support a year ago. And the so, support is somebody comes out 
to be able to help you with her, monitor her a little bit, give you a break? I mean, what's the support at this stage? So at this stage, um, so I will tell you too, we have community care access here. Um, but to be honest, they're not much help to the caregiver. Um, yeah. They will come out and do personal care. That's not going to work with my mom, unfortunately, um, because they come out on their schedule. And my mom is on such a strict schedule that that just will make it worse for me through the day to throw her off. Now, with the palliative care team, uh, a nurse comes out every other week. Um, I've set it up for every other week. I don't feel like I need more right now, but as soon as I need more, they'll come more often. Okay. If anything happens 24 seven, I have, um, I have a phone number I can call and the nurse on call will get back to me. will come out, whatever the case may be. I have a nurse practitioner who, um, is in partnership with my mom's doctor. So if I need, for example, I think my mom may have a UTI, which is very common. I read um, that a lot on your site. Yes. And if you, when you say UTI, you're talking about urinary tract infection? Urinary tract okay. infection. And it will change behaviors like you have no idea. So if I think that my mom happens to have a urinary tract infection, I can call up the nurse practitioner and she can send in the requisition. I don't even, I don't have to go to a doctor ever. If okay. I want to talk about medication. Yeah, because that's hard to be able to get them to a doctor at a certain stage. Near impossible. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, Good. Yeah. Medications. I can talk to her about medications. If, my, if I feel my mom needs some more anxiety medication, you know, we can talk about where we're going to insert that, if we're going to up what she's already on. And I don't have to go to a doctor to do that. Okay, good. That was that was very helpful. And, and I want to tap back into this, Carmen, in just a second, but I'm going to let Kevin give us a little insight too here. Um, the schedule part of it, I, I do want to tap back into because it seems to be what I hear a lot. And based on my personal situation with my father, like that regimen of keeping things very scheduled and not disrupting the apple, apple cart too much seems to be when he is, has better days over non-better days um, with that. So thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. That was very helpful. Kevin, you, you've had, you had a tremendous career in sales and marketing as an executive. Um, and then your wife, uh, Jenny, ended up getting uh, dementia. And that led to you creating this DementiaSociety.org and everything. And you've been incredibly educational up to this point. We talked before we went to break a little bit about kind of the, the umbrella effect of where the confusion, I think, is coming in. So it sounds like this is a big deal that, that we all need to take on to some degree to keep saying we have to better educate people on the world of dementia and what are those, you know, um, those spindles following off the umbrella that we need to then, you know, define so people have an understanding of um, this particular syndrome and the diseases that might fall into it. So can you give us a little bit more insight of where you're at with, um, you know, your site, DementiaSociety.org and how it's helping people? Sure. So uh, the Dementia Society of America, uh, by the way, we also operate a little bit in Canada. We have some supporters in Canada. We have some programs that we run in Canada. 
Uh, we are a corporation in Canada, uh, in Ottawa. So uh, we have, you know, kind of cross-border. Uh, we also do some work in Mexico as well. So we try to be kind of North America, if you will. Um, you know, if you're American, you're, you're <laughs> it's North America. <laughs> so we try to be, you know, all of America. But, uh, and so let me just touch on a couple things and then we'll, we'll, we'll look more at the kind of the, the causes and so forth. But, but Carmen raises some really good points as, as well as you do. And that is n number one. So um, UTIs, so urinary tract infections can oftentimes mimic dementia as well. So, you know, certainly people with dementia can get urinary tract infections, but so can others that don't have dementia, but they may be sedentary, uh, they may have issues with keeping that area of their body clean, and so, um, you know, there are a lot of issues that go into that, right? But um, UTIs create more delirium than dementia, and delirium is more kind of lost in space and time, not so much memory loss, but like who, you know, where you are, what time it is, what day it is, and so forth. And there are specific tests for delirium that hospitals use and doctors um, to kind of differentiate between delirium and dementia. That's number one. And it, you know, obviously with the right type of um, medications, uh, UTIs can be cleared up. The other thing to talk about real briefly is um, you know, regimen and uh, time of day and things like that. So you know, anytime you, you, you know, move furniture in your house, you're likely to stub your toe, but um, but but that that you know if you if you have full cognition you're going to have that happen potentially. So when you have dementia and you change schedules, you change layouts, you change colors, lighting, uh, physically change locations, um, that adds a lot more processing power uh, of, in terms of a requirement uh, than um, you know having a, a something that you expect to happen the way it's always happened in recent memory, so to speak. So, um, you know, a lot of times we get calls from people that, um, we do have a phone number, by the way, 1-800-DEMENTIA, works in Canada and in the U.S. Um, and uh, people call us, and we have volunteers, and the volunteers answer basic questions, and this is a basic one. I'd like to move my mom. You know, she has, she's in end stages or middle stages dementia, and I want to move my mom or my father or my brother, my sister. Um, and so all of these have things happen and and it can be disruptive to the person that you move. Certainly yeah. certainly changes the caregiver's uh, life as well. Um, but you know those are a couple of things and then finally something else that comes up is sundowners. So you probably hear this term sundowners a lot. It really it has probably little to do with the sun although there may be some impact on uh, the sun with, with light. Um, but you know a lot of people at the end of a day that have dementia, um, you know, their brain is working overtime to process things. So if you think about having a hard day at work, how you're just physically drained and tired, even though you didn't lift bales of hay, you did mental work, and your brain uses a lot of energy to do that work. So if you have dementia and your, your brain is working overtime to process things, just think about how you would feel at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. so, this is where you get frustrated, you get angry, uh, you get confused, and it, it, it has something to do maybe with the end of the day and the sun going down because light uh, has been shown to be very beneficial to people, uh, whether they have dementia or not, right? You have sun lamps and other things that people do to 
help with the seasonal affective disorder. You've probably heard of SAD. Um, so kind of export that idea over to dementia, and you can, you can understand why light is important. But really, it's the end-of-day issues, right? And, and also, people are trying to be fed. They're trying to be clothed and bathed. And all of that's coming at them at once. And so, you know, what we look at are non-medical therapies for people as well. And I just want to mention them briefly, but the power of music and art and movement and touch, just holding somebody's hand, being there to listen, having music that they love, and or even if you can get somebody to dance, even if they're seated in their chair. Uh, and to the point that Carmen makes about doctors and and some of the diagnostic workup workups that we spoke about, a lot of this takes time because not things things are not so self-evident. A lot of times people rise to the occasion. They meet with their doctor and the family's saying, Oh my gosh, you know, there's so many issues we're seeing. She's repeating or he's repeating or he's he's going outside looking for his his uh, his, his dog and he no longer has a dog. You know, all of these types of things, but when they get in the doctor's office, you know, they, they understand who the prime minister is. They understand who the president is. Um, and then but they walk out and they're like a totally different person again. Mm. So it takes a while for this to catch up to them. Usually there's a precipitating event and Carmen mentions it, you know, a fall or, uh, you know, some other event. They drive to a distant city and they don't know where they are, you know, who, who's around them. So these things happen. So part of it is planning and kind of creating a cocoon without being too suffocating, if you know what I mean. Um, and, you know, so when it comes to diagnostic workups, there are MRIs, CAT scans, PET scans, spinal taps. Um, people have vitamin deficiencies that need to be corrected. People have uh, something called normal pressure hydrocephalus, which can be addressed, which may look like dementia, but isn't. The comedian Tim Conway recently passed away with normal pressure hydrocephalus, but it can create confusion and cognitive issues if left unaddressed. Um, depression can sometimes masquerade as dementia as well. Uh, there's something to chronic depression that mm-hmm. confusion and, and cognitive difficulties. So, you know, filtering out all the things that it isn't, you know, it's kind of a process of elimination. And a lot of doctors, unfortunately, and uh, I'll just say it, that they, they want to give a prescription or they want to, you know, say, okay, give, you know, this particular drug and they write up a prescription and mom or dad has X, Y, or Z. They may say dementia, they may say Alzheimer's, but they typically um, kind of wrap things. What we find is, is that most people put a rubber stamp of Alzheimer's on something. And that can be a mistake because you're missing the diagnostic workup and they're just assuming a diagnosis and they run off in the, in the, in the particular direction. Um, and the drugs are maybe not effective. Uh, in fact, they'd be maybe a problem for the person um, and their care trajectory may be different. And so at the end of the day, they don't present as if they have Alzheimer's, but they're labeled as if they do. Oh, okay. And, gotcha. Yeah. And so th- that's a problem. And we're, we're trying to educate uh, primary care physicians around the country as well as in Canada. Um, we have some materials that they can give out. We also have a one-hour TV special that we've done called the Dementia Action Plan, which really kind of lays out seven steps to take in the face of dementia, 
So these are some of the things that we bring to the table. Perfect. Now, I know that you guys both talked about stages. Is there a formality in this education and awareness that we want to get out that falls in stages of dementia? Carmen, do you want me to speak to that a little bit? You can, yeah, if you want to. I'm a, you know, I don't, in my personal experience, um, my mom could be in one of every of the stages. Oh, interesting. It, it's okay. So, um, it's so broad. So you mentioned, uh, and just to touch base on your mom's situation, which I appreciate you sharing, you know, vascular dementia, even though it is in the frontal lobes, frontal temporal lobes, vascular dementia tends to kind of ebb and flow in terms of its uh, outward expression. So people can kind of have a lot of cognitive challenges and then kind of normalize almost in a way for some period of time. And then they, they kind of fall off a ledge for a while. And, and so blood pressure needs to be managed. Uh, stress needs to be managed. Um, so you're right about keeping consistency and so forth. Um, but that's part of the blood flow because if you just think about it, when you have high blood pressure and you have many strokes, TIAs, um, th- th- those TIAs are killing kind of blocks of brain tissue when it happens. In, in, her, in Carmen's mom's case, it's in the mainly in the frontal lobes, but it could be all over the, the brain. So you could have issues with vision or uh, typically with uh, motor skills and falling and balance and things like that happen a lot with, with vascular dementia. Yeah. But, um, you know, so anyway, to get a really good diagnostic workup is important. You start with a primary care physician, but then you're going to want to, you know, you, you know, potentially talk to a psychiatrist, a neuropsychiatrist, cognitive neurologist, um, they call them memory care um, or, uh, you know, memory centers in some university settings where you're going to have a lot of cognitive neurologists in one place as well as neuropsychiatrists. Um, so that's kind of where you want to be at. And it does take time because you want to see changes over time. And, and yeah. so you might do a neuro, what they call a neurocognitive workup uh, over several hours one day, then you do it again months later and you compare the two. So that's why a lot of this takes time. Yeah, that's good. And thank you, you guys, for both sharing that in regards to the stages, because I do feel like, you know, that's kind of, again, more confusion that we're up against, because you could say that maybe they're in late stages of how it's defined on the internet, but they can live a very long time and kind of have good days and bad days over that course of longevity of living. So. The stages, you know, most, most people would break things up into three general stages. You know, uh, early, early stage, middle stage, late stage. Mm-hmm. And then late stage, if you're in hospice, is broken up into seven or eight kind of sub-stages. Like how much they can take care of themselves to not being able to take care of themselves. Like Yes, and in the case of somebody who's immobile or unable to speak, a lot of that can also talk about palliative care, a lot of people have pain that's unexpressed. And and that adds to aggravation as well and anxiety. What if they need to be toileted, but they can't express that? What if they have back pain because they've been sitting or on, on the bed all day or, you know, or they have foot pain or, you know, most people that can cognitively communicate can say, oh my God, you know, I'm 
been sitting all day, it feels really bad. I need to get up and walk around. But somebody who's been in a wheelchair or in a bed or in a, you know, a, 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 you know, some other type of seating all day, they can't. They may not be able to express it in the late to middle, middle to late stages. That adds a layer of complexity to the care. Yeah, so that makes. That's sense. why having professionals that can come in and really visualize somebody. Now, I, I would suspect Carmen and others uh, that are listening can sense when somebody's uh, got pain or discomfort because they they're living with that person and with them 24 seven and they see these micro changes and they kind of know what's going on or they can perceive what's going on. But somebody who just kind of bops in and bops out, they may never catch those things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we have a, a couple minutes left in our show here. So what would be, you know, Kevin, I'll just carry on with you here. What, would, what suggestions do you have for people to start if they feel as though maybe one of their loved ones might be having some memory issues or some cognitive issues or, or poor judgment in, in some things that they have normally always done and now not, what would be your recommendation uh, for them to get more education and, and, and go after maybe the right medical attention? Okay. Well, first of all, there are a lot of websites available. Some have really good vetted information. I think ours does, DementiaSociety.org, um, and you can call 1-800-DEMENTIA uh, to get answers to basic questions. Um, but uh, And we have a lot of links to other organizations, universities, and, 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 and centers of excellence with regards to dementia, including uh, government information that's uh, highly uh, valid. So, you know, you can come to kind of our one-stop shop. We have definitions for all the different types of dementia as well. And people can kind of read through those and kind of get a sense of what matches up best for them before they start to talk to doctors. But one thing to know for sure is, is that some things that look like dementia aren't, and that's really the reason to get in front of a professional. Because you want to make sure that something that can be addressed and treated is addressed and treated. If it and treated properly. Yeah. And treated properly. And if it ends up at the end of the day that, um, yes, there's a, there's a dementia that's been either diagnosed to the specificity of frontal temporal or vascular or Lewy body or Alzheimer's or uh, what have you, um, you know, that's a kind of a good news story. But I'd have to say that a lot of people, I say good news in that it's good to kind of know so that you can know how the treatment should be planned out and what your care is going to look like. But um, a lot of people are kind of left in a void just with, a, with a, either an Alzheimer's diagnosis that may not be accurate, you know, it could be a rubber stamp, um, or just we don't know it's dementia consistent with X, Y, or Z. And um, that's what a lot of people get. And so, you know, doing as much homework, and Carmen's a great example, um, you know, be a sponge, learn, come to the Dementia Society uh, website. Like I said, we have a, uh, you know, a one-hour TV special that we put together called the Dementia Action Plan. They can find that there and uh, learn a lot. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. I'm going to make sure that I share that link out to that because that's on the website, right? Yes, it is. That they can watch it right from there. Perfect. I'm going to share that out on my um, social media. links them to uh, on-demand video from Vimeo and, you know, all, all the stuff. 
Perfect. Good. Kevin, thank you so much. Carmen, you know, from your perspective as being a caregiver for a loved one that you've, and you've been caregiving for quite a while for your mother here, what's some advice that you can give other people that are caregiving um, with one of their loved ones with dementia or some of these um, offshoots of it? Patience. (laughs) Yeah, I bet. Patience, patience, patience. Um, Try to always, and and it's very, very difficult in the beginning. I'm guilty of it myself. You know, this person who was completely, you know, normal, your mother who knew everything and is all of a sudden doing these things that are are just insane, um, it's so important to remind yourself that it is the disease doing this. It is not the person. Mm -hmm. And we have a really hard time doing that because we're visually looking at the person doing it. And the other thing I would say too is support. Wherever you can get it, get the support. I know there's a lot of times that there's sibling situations where only one sibling is actually doing the work, where whatever the case may be, find support Mm -hmm. in any which way that you can. Um, you know, on my dementia group, um, there is a, um, in the announcements section, um, there's a post where there is a poll and it'll tell you where people are from. Anyone that wanted to take that poll, try to connect with somebody in your area or in your state or in your province. Um, maybe you can help each other out. Yeah, that's perfect. I love that. Thank you. And you know what? And um, honestly, I know all that you're doing for it. Share your Facebook page again so people can tap into it because it's, it's, been, it's been enlightening. So I, I have a page, but I also have a group. Okay, good. The group is interactive. The page is mainly just kind of my diary. Um, both of them are called Dementia Through Daughter's Eyes. You do not have to be a daughter. It is anyone that is affected with and by and from dementia that needs support and just wants to be part of a family of people who actually understand, actually understand. Yeah, it, it was, it seems very supportive. There's a lot of love on your group page. Um, when other people, when other people come on there and they're just at their wits end of, you know, how, I, I don't know how much longer I can do this. And then there's a lot of support. Keep going. You can do this. Yeah. Perfect. You guys have been incredibly educational. Thank you so much for, um, everything that you've shared. I feel like it was, we just tapped into it a little bit and I feel like there probably is another opportunity where we need to continue to share this. I know, and I think, and, and Kevin, maybe you can answer this as well. Is there a particular time of year that dementia gets a little bit more notoriety and push and and awareness out there? When is that? Well, for us anyway, uh, May and June. So so um, we're in there. Yeah. Yeah. So we we bridge between Mother's Day weekend and Father's Day weekend in our awareness cycle, if you will. So that's because, you know, mothers and fathers, you know, hopefully we have both. Yes. um, Beautiful. You know, and so. Between Mother's Day and Father's Day, we do dementia and brain health awareness because brain health is the other side of the equation. Not to say that you can you can reverse or stop a dementia uh, yeah. necessarily in progress, but um, but good brain health goes a long way to reducing your risk for certain types of dementia. And so Perfect. we want to promote that as well. 
Yeah. Well, Kevin, Carmen, thank you both for being a guest on my show and sharing and educating and creating more awareness for us in regards to dementia. I learned a lot. I'm going to share this with my mother. I'm going to share the show with my mother. So she feels um, as a caregiver that she can be educated more too. Go to the website, uh, DementiaSociety.org. You can call the number 1-800-DEMENTIA. Carmen's pages are Dementia Through Daughter's Eyes, and she has a page in a group that you can be interactive with on the group. Um, again, thank you, you guys. I appreciate it. That kind of closes out our month of being able to create awareness and opportunities of being more educated on some of the nonprofit organizations that I felt needed a little bit of a spotlight. And yeah. uh, join us in July. We're going to be we're going to be heading back into the beauty realm, and we're going to be talking about some great beauty opportunities for women over fifty. And I qualify into that category, so I'm excited to hear some of that as well. And as always, remember to be you in beauty. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for listening to Beauty Inside and Out. Please join your host, Bonnie Bonadeo, again next Thursday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week.